we're going to share this morning. I'm going to teach. This may be a freestanding message, meaning just one. But uh, if you're taking notes, it's called avoid the risk. Do you know there's a scripture that talks about avoiding a risk in the Bible? It literally uses that term, avoid this risk. You know, there's some things that there is a risk to. In other words, if you do something with that, you take a risk. You know what I mean? Like they'll, they purposely put signs up on roads and they'll tell you to drive a certain speed limit. Why? Because they want you to avoid the risk of if you go 60 and you're in a canyon, uh, you could fly off. You know, I remember uh, some friends of mine in California rode motorcycles and they would ride in the canyons and uh, they didn't drive slow. And I remember hearing the story when they look back and one of the guys that they had been riding motorcycles with was, was gone. So they went back and found a break in a dirt berm. He had gone off into the canyon. Well, he had just looked for just a second and he went sailing off, and thankfully there was a nice ledge, that, not that he thankfully went off, but thankfully that wasn't one of the sharp areas, and he was laying down there on a ledge where he would have just fallen off. And uh, he went flying off. Well, he could have done things to avoid a risky situation. Are you with me? And uh, so we're going to talk about this, how to avoid this risk. And it's a real risk, and it's mentioned here in Hebrews, the 12th chapter. We're going to go there. So if you have a Bible, you can open it to Hebrews, the 12th chapter. Hebrews. This was written to Hebrews, Israel, people from Israel. This is different than the book called Shebrews, which is later on. Just wondering who's awake. Hebrew, the people, you know, the Israelis. These were uh, Jewish Christians who converted and gave their lives to the Lord. And this book is written to them because they were under great pressure to turn back, to quit serving the Lord, go back under all these different rules and keep all these laws and not be under grace or under the gift that God gave. And so we're going to begin reading here. And we're going to talk about today how to avoid discouragement. And, I, and when we look at these verses about discouragement, it's pretty interesting for the Christian. He actually tells us we don't ever have to have it. And that's an odd statement. That we don't have to have discouragement and we're going to look. And I know I lost some people or they swallowed their gum and they're trying to fish it out or something because they're like, no, you can't avoid uh, discouragement. Actually, we're going to read the statement where it talks about in a minute it, doing certain things to avoid discouragement. But what if we don't know and we've been just stumbling into discouragement time after time and not even realizing there was a way to avoid or come out of discouragement. And what if we're doing something that's going to make us just uh, go right into it, or not avoid discouragement? 
And what if God has this covered? But we don't really know it. I would bet you this, when I start sharing some of this, you know, as a believer, you're going to look and go, if I deal with discouragement, you're going to notice, wow, I have fallen into that right there. And there are different reasons or different, I guess you could say, discouraging things that come and he discusses this with them. And so most people know Hebrews 12, 1 and 2 talks about, you know, how we're in a race, how each person, God has a design. So really he's writing this and that we're about to read from the viewpoint that and this is how God looks at people who belong to Him, who have given their life to Him. He looks at them not thinking, are they going to do my plan? He talks to them like He expects them to do His plan, to follow His ways, not their own. It's how He talks. That's how He approaches. So Because he, he, he fundamentally believes in us. He so fundamentally believes in us as believers that when we give an account, you know what we give an account of? How we did His will and did His way here on the earth. Because that's how He believes. You know, He doesn't go, wow, you really tried, come on in. No, He approaches us like we are to fulfill His will. We uh, will fulfill His will. Or should fulfill His will. So when He approaches us, when He deals with us, He deals with us not like, oh, have your best life out there doing whatever. He deals with believers like, uh, follow my will. Here's how you do it. And He thinks in these terms, uh, because He knows, hey, I'll reward you for doing this. So He talks like, fundamentally, like, we're going to do it. And then he starts giving instruction on how to do it. He tells us, lay aside every uh, weight, lay aside every sin. Sins and weights are different. He said that so easily beset you in the first verse, first two verses. What does it mean to beset? You know, just to harass you know, some things in our walk we just need to get rid of because if we don't get rid of them, they will harass us. Anybody ever been harassed? There's enough harassment in the walk with God. But if we don't get rid of certain things that He says to get rid of, we're leaving something that will be a harassment to us. And it doesn't, and you can't say it's the devil harassing me. No, he said, get rid of sin and wait. A wait is literally uh, not necessarily a sin, but something that slows me down. And in remember, the fundamental thought is he believes everybody's going to do the plan. Everybody's going to do the will. So he said, this is your race or the design I have for every person. To fulfill this plan. So he said, in order not to be harassed, overly harassed, so to speak, or leave something that will be a constant nuisance to you, just get rid of the sin and get rid of any weight. Are you with me? I remember when I lived in Gold Canyon, there was a wash near my house, 
And, uh, you know, it was a bush, tree-studded area. And in the hot summer, you could walk in there early in the morning, and there was enough shade, you just didn't get beaten, you know. And so I got this brilliant idea one time. I know what I'm going to do. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do an upper and lower body workout. I'm going to carry these dumbbells with me. Because I'm smart that way. And so I took off down the cul-de-sac. There's an opening in the homes. Went down in the wash, started walking. I mean, it wasn't five minutes, and I'm like, where can I hide these weights? Because I'm about to head home after I rest. And I remember stopping, doing some exercise, putting them down, thinking nobody's going to be there, uh, all and nobody's going to want to carry them anyway. And uh, that's thinking right. So I walk down, do this walk, come back, grab the weights, pick them up. thought, well, if I ever do that again, if I really want to go any distance, I've got to put those weights down. And so he tells us, in our Christian walk, because think of the, think of the, the badgering that was going on. My body was going, ah, all this extra weight, what are you doing to me? Stop this. And it wasn't the devil, and it wasn't, it was just me carrying extra weight. And so he said, we need to lay aside things. This isn't about, and understand this, when you make these comments to people, some people start doing this. And I know, because I did it in my early Christian walk, whenever anybody preached anything, I had a list, don't do that, do this. But I realized when I gave my life to the Lord, it wasn't about a list. God would start dealing with me. If I'm a Christian and I don't recognize God dealing with me, I need to get back to my vitality of my relationship with Him. If I'm dealing with everybody else, I need to get back to my relationship with Him. Why? Because here's my deal. If my relationship is, is cooking with Him, He's going to be dealing with me. Somebody else has a relationship with him, he's going to deal with them. He doesn't need me. Not that somebody can't say something. Are you with me? And, and so here, when he's talking about weights and sins, uh, people that are Christians know things that are believers. And then it goes on to say, getting your focus on the Lord. Now, go down to verse 3. And we're going to pick up on how to avoid the risk of discouragement. So if we look at this, you just have to fundamentally think, the way God looks at me with my relationship with Him. Now if you don't have a relationship with Him, meaning you haven't given your life to Him, that's easy to fix. But once you have a relationship with Him, He's not looking at you thinking, oh, just live any way you want, do whatever you want. He's believing you're going to fulfill His plan and do His work. And that, that whatever design He has, you're going to follow Him. And so in that context, He said this, verse 3, For consider Him, meaning Jesus, who endured such hostility from sinners against Himself. You know, Jesus uh, didn't have the easiest life. 
And to be a follower of Jesus was not the easiest thing back then. I mean, even his closest disciples at times said, are you going to tell us, are we going to go back to that city? Great. One of them said, great, let us all go back and die with you. See, we get weird ideas about the people who followed him, like you just float around if Jesus was there and everything would be rosy. Man, there were times they wanted to kill him. There were times they wanted to do all kinds of things. They spoke against him. I mean, what if you were coming to church here and they're like, your pastor, he's demon-possessed. Praise the Lord. He's a drunk. He's a glutton. Somebody said, well, you do have a couple extra pounds. But you know, they called Jesus all those things. So here you are a follower of Jesus, and there are hostile sinners against him. And if you're following him, there are times that there are people in your meeting just to trap the one you're following. That happened. They would go to trap him to see if he would perform a miracle. Actually, it didn't say see if he would, to wait for him to perform a miracle. And then they would say, you can't do that on the Sabbath. So think about it. You're following somebody who is just being bombarded, and you as a follower are being bombarded. You know, there's a verse in the Bible that said, uh, Peter wrote this by the inspiration of God. He was one of Jesus' disciples. He knew something about this. He said, don't think it's strange when you face a fiery trial. When you're persecuted. Well, he lived around Jesus. He knew that. You ever seen somebody living from the, for the Lord? You, you don't even have to live for the Lord. If you really see somebody at work or in your neighborhood... Just listen to the neighbors. Some may respect them, but there will be people who will talk against them for no seeming real reason. So you just have to know there's opposition that's going to come and the enemy will see to it. Amen. But notice what he said, consider... Him who endured such hostility from sinners. In other words, everything Jesus faced, and then not only everything Jesus faced, but He was facing things for you and for me. He was going through stuff to help us and to pay a price for us. And notice what He said. You have to purposely consider Him. You have to... Take this equation into your mind. And you need to really think what he went through. When it talks about consider, he's talking about you need to put this to the forefront of your imagination and start looking at how he was persecuted, everything he faced, all the hard things he went through, when he was whipped on the cross, when he was beaten, when he died, when he suffered, when he lived on the earth and people just came against him, he said, you need to consider that. Why? Because he did it for you to help you to win. But here's the thought. Notice what he said. 
Let's read it again. Verse 3. For consider him who endured such hostility. Did he just use such a word? Such hostility? You know, we think about, you know, somebody getting upset in a grocery store line is a lot different than a riot most of the time. We'd think, wow, that was such a bad thing. That was not good. Here he uses this, such hostility from sinners. Think about it. The ones he came for to help, he was receiving much resistance. And not just resistance, hostility. Notice this phrase, you need to do that lest, what's lest? What's lest? Actually, the Greek word lest means avoid the risk. If you don't do this, you won't avoid the risk. There's a risk for not doing this. There's a risk to not do this. Risk always, when you think of a risk, you think of an inherent danger that's connected to it. So he said, if you're a believer and you're not looking unto Jesus, which verse 2 said, meaning getting Him as the focus, who will help your faith if you will keep your attention on Him to grow and to be triumphant and to be victorious. He said, you've got to turn your attention to the Lord if you want your faith to be strong and to get victory. And then he uses the same terms. He said, for consider him. He said, lest or to avoid. He said, lest you become weary and discouraged in your souls. The very thing that a person focuses on, it's real interesting has an effect in their soul, their heart, their mind. And he said, he said, if you don't focus on the right thing, you will end up becoming weary and discouraged. Your courage will be taken from you in your soul. Wow. How many people don't realize that some simple things that we do actually uh, aid in discouragement. I put my problem primarily, or my focus primarily on the problem. And he said, don't do that. See, he talked about here uh, how sin and different things we're going to face. But he told us, don't consider all the things you're going through. You have to consider the Lord and what He went through, or you will become weary and you will become discouraged. Notice, he said, you could dis- you know, avoid discouragement. If you would look at your life, and if I would be honest and look, There are times that discouragement knocks on all of our doors. And when discouragement comes, here's what it wants you to do. It'll come to you and put a little party hat on. You know, the little fluffy thing on top. 
It'll shove one of those things in your mouth, and you blow, and it will invite you to a pity party. Nobody knows what I'm talking about. Some of you guys are like, oh, what? And usually it'll invite you by yourself when nobody else is looking. And really what he's, this thing is doing is trying to get you to get your mind on the wrong thing. To get your mind off of Jesus. Because there's a peculiar thing about the human uh, that is taught as an underlying principle through the Bible Wherever you put your focus, whatever that is, good or bad, you may not even know. The world may tell you, look at this, and look at this. And you may not realize that there is substance of something there. And whatever you put your focus on, it draws it to you. It fills you with it. That's why, even when we are praising the Lord, there's a verse that says, whatever you give out, is what you get back. In other words, if you'll give your attention, it will cause things to happen. Well, what if Jesus is the source of everything you really need? I need a boyfriend. I need this. I need a better job. Well, I understand there are things that people need, but they should be secondary to this because all that you need truly is in the Lord. Those things are real they're needful in life. But know this, God can help you to prosper. But if you prosper on your own, you'll end up being discouraged and full of worry too. Because you'll be focusing on one thing and, and believers were not made to focus on the wrong thing. That's why Jesus discussed worry which, when you're worrying, are you encouraged or discouraged? You're discouraged. So what did he tell people when he first started preaching in Matthew 6? He said, seek first the kingdom of God. Get your attention over there. And then all these things will be added to you. But how often do people not consider the Lord? They consider everything. They consider what the doctor says. They consider what the banker says. They, they consider what the news said, and their focus is right there. And if that is where our focus is as believers, we're going to draw that stuff in. And, and when everything's good in society, then if we're drawing that in, we'll be like, hip, hip, hooray. But then all of a sudden you're like, man, there's riots everywhere. There's people getting beat everywhere. There's all this stuff happening. Well, if you're not dwelling in the secret place of the Most High God, you're not abiding in that divine protection because you're not thinking that way. You're thinking, man, anywhere you can go, you can get carjacked. Watch out. Don't, if, we, if we have our mind on Him and we're considering that He has provided divine protection, He can keep you from it. But otherwise, people will be discouraged. Man, there's nowhere you can go. There's nothing you can do. I'm moving to the mountains. And then a million other people who are all full of worry and discouragement are already there waiting. Because they already ran. So we can't run. We live in a world that where this is at. And I don't know about you, but if you're allowed to highlight in your Bible, you might want to circle the word last. 
Because he's teaching us how to avoid becoming weary and discouraged. And a major way is this. If we're not looking at the source of the answer, we're looking at an outward problem. And man, if we're used to doing that in life, we're just going to live discouraged. Well, amen. Just keep going. You ready? Everybody okay? Everybody awake? You know, slap the person. No, don't slap them. Just want to make sure. People need to realize, is there truth about avoiding stuff? We know this in elements as believers. People will do things like we're supposed to, but kind of not right. And they'll find some relief. This is what will happen. They won't look to the Lord like they should, but they'll get busy and they'll keep themselves real busy. They can't be quiet. Because they're not putting their mind on the Lord. But they, they'll keep themselves busy so their mind is not on the problem. It's a partial thing, but it's not the whole. And that person, when they slow down to get rest, all that discouragement and weariness is just going to cave in on them because they're not doing what they're supposed to. Did I say it was easy? No, but it's doable. At different times, there will be different things that will come. And he said, lest, the Greek literally means to avoid the risk of. Wow. Could you imagine Jesus, if he had a self-help business and opened up a building right now, he'd be a billionaire. How to avoid discouragement. Say what? We, we can, I mean, like for real? Because some people do these self-help things and it's not for real. This is for real for the Christian. Notice this. Verse 4. You have not yet resisted to bloodshed, striving against sin. He's saying, listen, even in your pressure time in life, you have not faced what the Lord faced, and you are to be considering Him. He said that will do something for you. He said it will help you avoid being discouraged. How many of you want to be discouraged this week? How many of you are tired of being discouraged? I mean, if I'm just tired of being discouraged, all the courage, all the strength, all the victory you need is right in Jesus. And it will fail my heart if I will keep my attention on Him. But if I keep my attention on the problem, you realize the problem is nasty anyway looking. What's that going to do to you or to me? If my eyes are a vacuum and my mind is a vacuum and I put my mind on that and it's full of questions and full of whatever, I'm just going to fill myself with that. You ready for the other type of discouragement? 
how to get out of that one? No, you guys are all discouraged about the first discouragement. You get the idea, put your mind on the Lord. What we're doing is we're helping people to close the door. Yeah, but skunks keep coming in my house. Why don't you close the door? I did. Did you close all the doors? Well, no. Well, we're going to tell you how to close another door. This one is an interesting one. Notice verse 5. And you have forgotten the exhortation, this word of encouragement, which speaks to you as to sons or literally children. Remember I said, to get rid of this kind of discouragement and get rid of discouragement in your life, he's writing to Christians. This is not for people who do not know the Lord or not serving Him. Once you come to serve the Lord, you'll find the courage starts rising up in you. Because eternal life will start doing that. But he's trying to tell you how to keep it out of your life. And so he said this. He speaks to us as children. Now he's going to talk about the other type of discouragement. My son, do not despise the discipline or the correction of the Lord. In other words, the Lord, if you read on, deals with every one of His kids personally. Everybody who's truly come to know the Lord, at some time, the Lord has dealt with them. He said, do not despise or look down upon the correction of the Lord. nor be discouraged when you are rebuked or when He deals with you. Notice that. Discouraged. Look down upon. Notice if we look down upon the Lord's dealings with us, we'll open ourselves up to discouragement unwittingly. Let me, let me say it like this. If you are raising kids, if you don't teach them properly about correction, they will get discouraged. Oh, don't let your kid leave right now. Okay. Um, if you don't teach your kid about correction properly, they will fall right into this. They will. They'll, they'll fall right into it. But remember, these are natural kids. Isn't it amazing we become spiritual kids and none of this really matters? But how many of us when we were a kid said this, or you've heard a person say this, you're mean to me. You don't let me do what everybody else gets to do. So none of you have ever heard that? Christ the Lord. And, but why, what I'm saying is, then as a parent, we need to tell our kids. It, remember, the Bible said, when I was a child, I thought like a child, but when I grew up, I put away childish thinking. We need to help our kids put away childish thinking. They, their parents let them do everything. You don't love me. Oh, my goodness. Maybe it's the other way around. 
their parents' lack of discipline and correction is showing a lack of love, possibly. Yeah, but this is uncomfortable. If you read on, correction from the Lord, the Bible said, is not comfortable. Isn't it interesting that kids can look at correction and think, you're being mean. But why do parents correct kids? The proper reason should be, you're looking out for their best. You know if they make these decisions and keep making these decisions, they're going to end up getting themselves into trouble. And isn't it interesting? They can get discouraged with the very thing that's actually helpful for them. And they can look at others and go, well, how come they're not? Because they ain't your kid. They ain't your brother or sister. Or they'd be sitting in the same place. And here's the thing. You can look out as a Christian and go, how come they're doing this? And how come they're doing this? And you're dealing with me about this. It can make you discouraged. He said your perception about correction has to change. The Bible said the reason God deals with us individually is because He loves you and He wants a fruitful life for you. And if you don't follow it, you'll become unfruitful and life will be a drudgery and it will be miserable and it will be because we despised correction. We looked down upon it. We got discouraged. Ah, you mean i got to do this very thing? You realize when He deals with you to do something... The Bible said later on, he said, no, no correction seems uh, pleasant at first. Any parent should know this when you discipline your kids. They're not like, praise the Lord, thank you, could you whip me one more time? My other cheek doesn't hurt as bad, and I could really use a good whack. <laughs> or, or take this away from me for an extra day, because this hurts, and I like this. If that's how they are, they're probably obedient. <laughs> what you're doing is breaking something that's contrary to obedience. That whine is a cry to disobey. So if we're real whiny, we might have a tendency toward disobedience. That needs to change. Natural kids, spiritual kids. Somebody came, said, I didn't come to church to get a whooping like this. I'm just sharing. But, but why would we want to hurt? We can see in society, there are surveys that have just been coming out in the last couple of weeks, in the last month or so, too. Uh, where they have been, even non, just universities have been doing studies saying that just people going to church and having some kind of any type of religion, not even with the true living God, would be better for society. These are people who don't believe, don't do anything. They realize discipline, structure is important. How much so with the living God? The one we serve, the one we know, who knows how to do things, 
knows things that are right, how many times have we been dealt with by Him to just get up and pray or be at church or to, to be kind to somebody? Whatever it is, we knew it and we went, oh, this hurts. But I know this is what God's saying. That's love trying to help your destiny. Praise the Lord. Consider Him and change your perspective. If I don't look at correction right, I'll get discouraged. I'll get discouraged. Now you understand when I'm talking about correction here, I'm talking about people who are really going for it with God. I don't mean they have a religious something, rules. I mean they're walking with God. And we'll all be at different places when we're walking with God. But if we're just going with God, He'll start dealing with us. And notice this in verse 13. Now no chastening or correction seems to be joyful at the present. Isn't it cool that He said, I'm doing this out of love, and I want you to know so you don't get discouraged that it's not real pleasant at first. You know, when, when I was little, and we'll read the rest of that verse and close up, but when I was little, when we went to my grandmother and grandfather's house, I had great, grand, great, I had great grandparents, but my grandparents were great people on both sides. My grandmother on my mom's side, great lady. My grandmother and my grandfather on my dad's side, great people. Uh, I mean, they were just, they were good. But my, on my mom's side, my grandmother was single. And, um, you know, kids know how to do things. And if they're not disciplined correctly and not governing themselves, they're going to push for freedom. And the freedom they push for is not always healthy. So we would go over to that grandmother's house and then come home and coming home was miserable. You know why it was miserable? Because when we were over at that grandma, she would say things like, don't do that, and we just do it. So we're just gaining freedom, wrong freedom, undisciplined, outside of correction. We're not having to suffer at all. And we live in a society where nobody wants to suffer at all. Go through any pain. No pain, no gain. You know what kind? I'm not talking, I'm talking where you have to hold your emotions back and just not do certain things. Well, we just push. I still remember one time we got to buy these wooden airplanes. You know the ones you put them together? I got the Red Baron, double wing, top and bottom. I'm in the back seat of the car, driving home. We're going along starting to put that thing out the window. She said, don't do it. She said, if that thing gets damaged, it gets ruined, you're not getting another one. And then I'm almost fully committed and I'm thinking, I can't do it out here because we're on the main street. And when it goes flying, because this is a double wing airplane, it's going to take off. 
and I'm going to need to be able to recover this, so I'm going to have to do this right when we pull into the driveway. I already got it planned. Don't do it, don't do it, don't do it. Out the window, wind catches it, rolls right over it, smashes it. Don't worry, I know how this works. Whine and cry until she goes and buys you another one. And she did. You know how bad that was? Now I get to go home to my parents who have rules, and you know what's going to happen? I don't get to cry anymore. I don't get to whine anymore. Talk about living discouraged. Now I've got to get bent back. Man, it gets quiet in here. That, is that fan extra loud or is it just extra quiet? Notice, no chastening seems to be joyful at the present. We don't want to buck against it. Because if we do, it'll bring discouragement later. But it's painful. Nevertheless, afterwards, it yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness to those who are trained by it or who respond correctly to it. Realize this, there's different ways to avoid different kinds of discouragement that we come in contact with. One, get your attention on the Lord. Get it off the problem, get it on the solution. Get it on the Lord. When He starts dealing with you, don't think, how come everybody else gets to live like this? There's a bad outcome to that. Don't think like that. This hurts me. Realize this, it will pay off. But at the present, it's ouchie. Nobody knows what I'm talking about. Or I know what it is, you're thinking about your neighbor's kid. I'm going to tell them this message for sure. No, why don't we, since we're here, just take it ourselves? And, and if we're a Christian and we're serving God and we haven't noticed a dealing with, from Him for a while, we, we need to probably just go, God, is there something I'm overlooking? Because I, I sure want something good. After a while, God won't deal with people, you know, to the degree if we keep going, no, no, no. Because he's just trying to take us forward in good. But he's not like the devil, who's just a poker and a prodder. But I'm telling you what, God wants fruitfulness. That first part about keeping your mind on the Lord will make your faith a prevailing faith. Instead of being discouraged. So I guess, if you want, you can avoid the risk of discouragement. 